0: Hi, and welcome back to the Pleasing God podcast, a weekly show focused on helping Christians to think biblically, engage practically, and live faithfully for the glory of God. I'm your host, Jonathan Soul, And today I want to talk with you on the subject of sin. You might be thinking, oh no, that doesn't sound very encouraging. That doesn't sound like a very uplifting subject. Well, maybe not, but it is a necessary one. When we think about living a life that is pleasing to God. When you think about your life, question I want you to ask of yourself as you think introspectively, are you being attacked by sin or are you attacking sin? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd say maybe a little bit of both. Maybe some days I'm attacking sin, other days I feel like I'm just being overwhelmed and attacked by my own sin, sin from within and sin from without. And I think that really is descriptive of the reality that we face as Christians. Some days are better than others, no doubt. But as believers, we are to be attacking and putting to death sin in our lives. I remember many Christmases ago, I was in my early 20s, and I was having Christmas at my parents' house, and it was time to open the stockings. And the stockings were never really something that was... That big of a deal, maybe some candies or little stuff in there, a gift card or something. But this particular Christmas, it was it was interesting. It's actually one I would never forget. I open up my stocking, I dump out my stocking, and there's this little Puritan paperback. It was the first Puritan paperback book that I'd ever received. And the title was The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. And I thought, that's not what I expected for a Christmas present. This is what happens when your father's a pastor and he cares more about your holiness than even your happiness. And inside that book that I read, it, it was it was one of the best gifts I had ever received. Although reading Owen's Mortification of Sin it felt like a thousand little knives just stabbing me, as it convicted me in many ways, a book that was actually very foundational to my development as a Christian, and I think fondly on receiving that little book, though I scoffed at first. And inside his book, he makes this statement and he says to be killing sin or it will be killing you. And that is such a true statement that if we are not focusing on putting to death our sin in our lives, our sin will be killing us. And so when we think about sin, I want us to first think about the nature of sin. What do we mean when we talk about sin? Well, I think a general definition would be that sin is rebellion against God. It is a rebellion against God and His will for our lives. Sin, the word, quite literally, means something like missing the mark or a failure, not reaching the standard. Other words used throughout the Bible are transgression, which means to go beyond, to, to venture, or to, to go out of bounds, to go astray. Iniquity means to revolt. It's opposition to God. Many other words, immorality, evil, unrighteousness, lawlessness. These are all terms that convey the the, the nature of sin, what it is. And really, as R.C. Sproul says, it is cosmic treason. It is anarchy against a holy God. When we think about examples of sin, I'm reminded of the words in Galatians chapter 5. It's interesting, Paul gives this list of just manners and behaviors in which sin is manifest. And then it's as though he is no longer going to talk about it, but he says things even like these, that it is, it is just wickedness, it is vileness, it is impurity, it is all kinds of transgressions. And Paul says here that the characteristic practice of these behaviors does not align with someone who isn't to inherit the kingdom of God. So when you think about these examples of sin, a life defined by sin is incompatible with a life that is set for the kingdom of God. You look throughout the rest of scripture and the Bible is very explicit about examples of sin in the lives of many godly people and also in the lives of many ungodly people. And that leads us to think about the scope of sin. We would read in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This, again, missing the mark, the glory of God being the, the standard. And no one, no human being has reached that mark, has achieved that standard. The glory of God being that perfect righteousness which God requires. So we understand that the scope of sin has affected everyone. It is universal in nature. Having five little children, as they watching them grow up, I'm sure if you've ever spent some time around just a small child, you can see the nature of sin even in a little one. Think about it when it comes to raising children. From the very outset, we are trying to civilize barbarians. I have not met anybody that has taught their child how to steal, how to lie, how to be angry at their brother or sister, how to covet what's not theirs. Why? Because all that just comes natural to them. From the very beginning in small children, we're trying to teach them what righteousness is. We're trying to teach them right because naturally in and of themselves, they are prone to do what is evil. That's because they have a sin nature. They have a sin nature that they act out upon and they commit sins. So when you see the scope of sin, it's alive and well in the smallest of ones and it just continues to grow. It's just what happens as we get older, we become better at hiding it. So, when we think about sin in this way, as Christians, how are we to respond to sin? Well, I think first and foremost, we must understand it theologically when it comes to sin as a believer. In Romans chapter 6, verse 10, we read, For the death he died, talking of Jesus, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God so that you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace." Even from this passage of Scripture, I want us to notice that we are freed, as believers, we are freed from the penalty of sin. Again, let me just remind you, talking about Christ, it says, The death he died, he died to sin. He died to free us from the penalty of sin, the condemnation that comes from sin. At the cross, the penalty of our sin was paid for by the perfect Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God. We also can see here, as we think about how we to respond to sin, that we are freed not only from the penalty of sin, but we are freed from the power of sin. Chapter 6, verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He would go on and he says, Let sin have no, no more dominion over you. Apart from the work of Jesus Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit causing us to be born again, we can do nothing but sin. When we heard the gospel, when the Holy Spirit caused us to be born again, we were then, as the Bible says, the heart of stone was replaced with the heart of flesh and we were caused to be born again to a living hope. At that time, we were freed from the power of sin. That means everyone who has not been born again are, is under the, the dominion and under the power of sin but not as Christians. We've been freed from the power of sin. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. And we must remember that one day we will be delivered and freed from the presence of sin. But that's not right now. That's in the life to come. That's that's heaven. So in this time, space that we live in, freed from the penalty, freed from the power, we battle the presence of sin remaining. Until that day, we are to fight. Chapter 8, verse 13 Paul writes if for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live and that's really the verse of Owen's little paperback the mortification of sin that's the launching pad for his book and so as we think about attacking sin in our lives what are some things that we can do what are some things that we can do as Christians to help us in this fight stay alert 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 Peter writes, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So stay alert. Why are ambushes so successful? Because it has the element of surprise. If the person who was being ambushed knew it was occurring, it wouldn't be an ambush. I think about attacking sin, we must stay alert. There is a devil out there that desires our fall. We have battles from within. We have battles from without. Remember this, complacency leads to laziness. Laziness breeds apathy. So stay alert. Also, know your triggers. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 19, Peter writes, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So what do, what do I mean by this? Well, we all have besetting sins. We all have areas of weakness. So don't put yourself in situations that might cause you to stumble and sin. If you're a man who struggles with lustful thoughts, it would probably not be a good idea for you to go to the beach in the summer. If you're somebody who struggles with gossip or just being critical, And you have other people in your life that are that way, too. It might not be a good idea to go out to lunch with that person because you know it might just turn into a session of gossip or talking bad about someone else. You might be somebody that really struggles in certain situations. Maybe you've struggled with substance abuse. You don't want to go and put yourself in a situation that would cause you to stumble. So you need to know your triggers. You need to know yourself. Remember also, sin never satisfies. In Hebrews chapter 11, speaking about Moses, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin has an appetite that can never be filled, always hungry, never satisfied. And when we think about this, the fleeting pleasures of sin, it might seem appeasing for the moment. But sin always leaves in its wake carnage, destruction, disappointment, broken relationships, and just a vileness. So remember, sin never satisfies. It might seem appealing, but it is not. It leads to death. In our ongoing battle attacking sin, we must never lose sight of prayer. So pray often. Here, I think the battle is won and lost. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Pray without ceasing. This means you're in a constant state of prayer. Prayer is like breathing for the Christian. It is what we are to do. It is communion with God. And as we're communing with God, the last thing we want to do is sin. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul has just gone through the armor of God, how we are to resist the evil one, how we are to stand firm, how we might stand against the schemes of the devil. And he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Christian, pray often. To neglect prayer is the height of arrogance. We need it. Prayer is the language of the dependent. So, start your day in prayer, and end your day in taking inventory. I can't guarantee that you're going to have a great day if you start in prayer, but I can tell you that if you don't, your day will not be as good. Start your day in prayer. Be mindful of praying throughout the day as communion with God. And at the end of the day, as you lay your head down at night, take inventory. How did my day go? Where did I gain victory? How was I able to overcome? Where do I need to repent? Did I lose my cool here? Was it that I manifest impatience in that way? Whatever it might be. But make prayers of repentance a daily discipline when attacking sin. To the point where you get tired of the same prayer of repentance. Another one. Resist temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, a very famous verse. We read that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. We are called to resist temptation. Temptation is inevitable. Temptation will find us. You can be on a deserted island. You could be the only person, and be sure of this. Temptation will still come to you. But we are reminded here that we have the ability to escape. God has provided that for us. I'm reminded in Genesis chapter 39, it's the account of Joseph at Potiphar's house with his wife. And Potiphar is gone and, and she is trying to seduce Joseph. And we read how he handles temptation in this moment. No one will know. No one will find out. He could get away with it. She wants him to get away with it. But in chapter 39, verse 8, We read, but he refused. Verse nine, he says, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. This is Joseph talking to Potiphar's wife. He says, because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There's his motivation. That was his motivation to not sin because he knew to commit a sin, commit this wickedness, it was against God. So principally, we see he refused. His motivation was in verse 9, verse 10. She spoke to Joseph day after day, but he would not listen to her. So he refused, he resisted, and then ultimately, we see in verse 12, he ran. She said, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He refused, he resisted, and he ran. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to temptation to sin, there are times that we just need to run for our lives. We need to refuse that critical spirit. We need to resist entering into that gossip or slander. We need to refuse and resist coveting. We need to run from that disobedience, from that situation that could cause such damage. Young person, you must refuse and resist disobedience to your parents. Paul gives us a strong principle to which we should apply to our lives that I've called the replacement principle. We find it in Ephesians chapter four, verses 25 through 32. It's the series of put off and put on. Paul says, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So there's this sense of, okay, if the sin is lying, if falsehood, I'm to stop doing that. But if I'm to stop doing that, we must understand what am I supposed to start doing? That's the point in attacking sin. It's not so much what I'm not to do, but we also are focused on what we are to do. How are we to replace that sin with righteousness? It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Again, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So don't steal, work hard. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is Good for building up as fits the occasion. So let's not have talk that breaks down, but talk towards others that builds one another up. So let's, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So these are the sins that we are to put away and what are we, how we are to replace that. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We can do so much by attacking sin, when we learn how to forgive others, when we withhold forgiveness, it destroys us. Also remember this, never quit in your battle against sin. Proverbs twenty-four sixteen: For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. It doesn't say that the righteous never falls. No, righteous men and women fall. But when they fall, they get back up. You're not going to live a perfect life, but we want to live an authentic life. We want to live a life that when we do sin and we do fail and we do miss the mark and we do transgress, that we don't stay in that state. So I want to encourage you, believer, keep fighting, keep battling, and when you lose, do not give up, but rise again. And finally, in thinking about attacking sin, remember that your friends matter. We read 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived, Bad company ruins good morals. So, from this, I would just want to encourage you to surround yourself with people who also are attacking sin. People who are not comfortable with an unholy life. People who make much of Jesus. People who desire your holiness above your happiness. People that will tell you what you need to hear, not always what you want to hear. These are the friends that matter. These are the people you want to associate with. These are the people that will serve to keep you accountable. And you might not always like it, but you will learn to love them all the more for doing it. You are who you hang out with. Your friends matter. You want friends that are pointing you towards Jesus, that are seeking holiness of your life as well as their life, and that you would reciprocate and do the same for them. So as we think about attacking sin, it is a reality that we face, but... Be encouraged, Christian, because we are freed from the penalty of sin. We have been freed from the power of sin, and we are putting to death the sin in our lives by the Spirit. One day looking forward when we are completely freed from the presence of sin. So continue in the fight, stay strong, press on looking to Jesus. I want to thank you for listening to the Pleasing God podcast. If you have any questions, I would love to hear from you. You can reach out at questions at pleasinggodpodcast.org. And remember, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification.